Thank you for listening to Crossroads Community Church. At Crossroads, our mission is to be the church by exalting the glory of God, sharing and showing the love of Christ, and inviting others to be recipients of Christ's love. Now here's this week's message. This week we are continuing a series we started a few weeks ago, uh, looking at, in essence, what is the gospel, which we transliterate into the good news. Uh, And we said you can boil it down to two things. First and foremost, if you don't know Jesus Christ, then the gospel is here's what Jesus wants to say to you. If you do know Jesus Christ, here's what Jesus wants you to tell others about him and sharing that good news. And to get a better understanding, uh, we mash together Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, what we call the gospels, and we're walking through them chronologically. And last week we looked at how each of the disciples were chosen by Jesus and developed by Jesus And each one of them, he chose because he loved them. And each one of them gave their lives for him because they loved him. And if you look through the Gospels, you'll see there's there's different chronology uh, between them. Uh, John kind of starts and captures, I think, a year or two, maybe it's a year and a half, that are not recorded in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Uh, So we've been walking through, we're at the point where we're walking through John, Um, And John starts talking about the next thing that Jesus did after he chose his disciples was that Jesus began his ministry, right? And the word ministry, many of us are familiar with it, uh, but it's from a word, and I always mispronounce this, so forgive me if I mess it up, uh, diaconia, which literally means service, especially of those who execute the commands of others. Uh, It's where we get our English word deacon from because deacons serve others. Uh, And in this case, when we talk about ministry, it's at the command of God. God calls people into ministry to serve others. Now, when we look through the Gospels, we see Jesus started his ministry. We're told in Luke, if I can get the clicker to work. There we go. Luke chapter 3, this is the complete Jewish Bible version. Luke chapter 3, verse 23, Yeshua, or Jesus, was about 30 years old when he began his public ministry when he began to publicly go out at the command of God and to serve others. And then the verse goes on, it was supposed that he was the son of Joseph, who was the son of Eli, who was the son of, and it goes on and it gives his lineage through Mary. But what we see when we read through uh, the book of John is that Jesus goes out and the first thing he does is he starts ministering to, first and foremost, a family, uh, a couple that are getting married, the wedding of Cana, some of you may be familiar with. If not, we're going to go over it. Uh, Then he ministers to the church, although, as we're going to read, it's not in the way that the church would like, because he ministers to a church, the church, the called, the people of God that had kind of gone astray. And then he ministers to an individual, a person who is seeking God. So if you have a Bible, open it up to the book of John, chapter 2. Uh, If you don't have a Bible, there should be one under the seat, left, right of you, in front of you, or behind you. If not, raise your hand, and we will have someone bring one to you. And as we turn to the book of John, this was written by the Apostle John. And in chapter 2, and many of you see that your Bible, if you're in an NIV, and most of the other versions have something similar to the phrase, Jesus turns water to wine in the heading, uh, because that's what Jesus does. So on verse 1, here's what it says, chapter 2, verse 1. On the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. 
When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, They have no more wine. Dear woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied, My time has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Do whatever he tells you. Now, just to give you a little background and some summary, uh, what ends up happening is Jesus tells his servants to fill these six huge jars uh, with water, and then he turns it into wine. Now, here's the, here's the part that you may not know, so let me give you a little bit of background. The water jugs were typically used for the family for water for that day. They couldn't go in and pull the Brita out of the fridge and get water to drink. They had to go out to the well and fill it up and bring it. They couldn't go in and just turn on the faucet and wash their hands and, and you know, do all that stuff. So they would have huge water stones that they filled. Now, because it was a wedding... There were six of them. They had six because there were lots of people. And unlike most weddings today, I mean, I've, I've done quite a few weddings and haven't had any that are like this, but they, the reception part of the wedding was seven days long. So you can see how they could run out of wine. I mean, lots of people, every day they get up and instead of going to work, instead of doing this, they would get up and they would go back to the wedding and they'd hang out, and they'd party, and they'd celebrate seven days long. So there's a lot of wine being drunk. Now, for those of you who have the, the Bible says, thou shalt not drink, whole other topic we can get into later. Uh, but if that were true, then I doubt that Jesus would turn the water into wine to say, here's more. What is true that the Bible does not say is, don't get drunk. That, that's throughout the Bible, Old Testament and New Testament, don't get drunk. Someone said to me, well, what's the level of getting drunk? When you can no longer answer that question, cut it off, I guess. That, I, I, I can't say because it's different for everybody. Some people can have a glass. Some people can have, I don't know, uh, but I say cut it off. If you can't answer that question, it's time to stop. But here's the other thing. Now, this is not, I cannot sustain this biblically, but there are some, not a lot, but some theologians who believe that the reason that the mother of Mary and Jesus and his disciples were invited to this wedding is they believe it was John's wedding. Again, I can't back this up biblically. Uh, to them, that's why Mary was so like, oh my gosh, they're out of wine. We have to do something. Do whatever Jesus says because it was her sister's son, if I got that right, her family that, that this was occurring at and they didn't want the embarrassment of seven days of you know, the wedding and then they run out midway through. That's why Jesus and all of his disciples were there, so they say. Again, I can't back that up biblically, but what's important that it was important enough, whoever, wedding, whoever was having the wedding, whoever was getting married, for Jesus to show up. He wanted to be there. Now, let me ask, how many of you have ever been to a wedding where you um, kind of say, ah, I got to work, I got other stuff to do, and whenever have turned down a wedding invitation? Nobody? One person? Wow. Because sometimes, depending on when it is, got to travel, got to go out of town, you got to catch a plane like your relatives in Wisconsin are getting married. You're not going to drive there on Friday to show up for the Saturday wedding. You know what I mean? So well, you, if you're going to drive all night. But sometimes you just can't make it. So if the wedding is seven days long, that's a huge commitment. You know, that's a huge commitment. But here's the thing. For Jesus, it was important enough to go there and minister to the people who were getting married. I don't think he did it for Mary. I don't think he did it for the disciples. And when he turned, here's the thing, when he turned the water into wine, it wasn't like, um, 
back in my pre-Christian days, the big boxes of wine I used to keep in the fridge and keep on tap that were like $7, which is obviously not the good stuff, or, or the, what you get from 7-Eleven, and none of you know this, and, you know, youth plug your ears like the Mad Dog 2020. They don't do it here, but, oh, okay, so the laughing people know what I'm talking about. But the, the cheap, literally the cheap bottles of wine are like $1.99. It wasn't that. It was good quality wine. And I believe, I believe the reason why Jesus did that is because marriage as a whole is important to God. Now, here's the thing. God wants to minister to every marriage couple. I don't think that it's God's design that, hey, if you go get married, he doesn't want to be a part of it. And I've heard people say that, that, you know, well, we didn't do, let me, let me put this way. When I do wedding ceremonies, I usually ask the couple um, for my part, because if you've ever been to a wedding, literally three to seven minutes tops is all it takes. Other than the 22 minutes it takes for the bride to make it down the, you know, all the way down the thing with the train and the whole people coming out and all that stuff. Because it's once they get there, it's um, usually an opening prayer. And literally, this is the wedding. Do you take so-and-so? I do. Do you take so-and-so? I do. Put the ring on him. Put the ring on her. I now pronounce you man and wife. I mean, you can try as you might, but when you stretch that out, it's, it's three to seven minutes long. The rest is usually, you know, the officiant talking about marriage and what it is and all this good stuff and blessings and yada, yada, yada. Um, and or in the case of Christianized wedding, like her dad did like a 40 minute prayer. I kid you not 40 minutes because I literally I'm the groom. I felt like I was falling asleep because I had my eyes closed. The only thing that kept me going was like I was scared that if he stopped and I missed it, that would be the most embarrassing thing in my life. But literally wedding. Do you take do you take ring ring? Kabang kabang, you're done. Right. But when I talk to couples, I say, hey, I can do, you know, how long do you want it? 20, 30, 15 minutes? Some people say, I want it long because I got people traveling from across the other side of the, you know, some from overseas, some from California or wherever. So I want it long. I don't want them to come all this way for 10 minutes. So I want it like 20, 30 minutes if longer. Some people say, nope, I want 15 minutes. I want it short. I want it sweet. I want it down to like, and I think Michael and Rachel, Michael had a schedule. So I think he said, you got like 18 minutes. Don't go over. But Depending on who you talk to, I always tell them, hey, I can talk about God, but this is your wedding. So I want to do it on a scale that makes you comfortable. On a scale of 1 to 10, 1 is, I say, God created marriage, and that's the last you'll ever hear of God or any biblical thing. That's like a 1. 10 is, we go all the way up to, but don't do an altar call. You know, we stop at who wants to commit their lives to Christ right now. And usually, some people will say, you know, keep it about a 5 um, I think Becky and Marty and Becky said, like, give me about a seven or eight. And Michael and Rachel said, do it like an eight or nine. I did a wedding in Virginia where they were like, we want a 10 because most of their friends didn't know Christ. The wedding was on a Sunday morning. So it's not like they could invite them to church because that was during church. It was like 10 or 10.30 on a Sunday morning, not 10.37 like us. But so they said, hey, go right up to a 10, shop stop a hair shy of an altar call because we don't want all these people coming forward during the wedding. And so that's what we did. And the reason why I ask that is because even if the couple doesn't want them there, God wants to be there. God wants to be a part of every single marriage. And he doesn't want to just bring, you know, like the 
the cheap wine. Or the, he wants to bring the full wholeness of his blessings into every married couple. Now, you guys know we have a tradition when it's somebody's birthday. We have some coming up next week, so I won't call them out now because then they won't show up next week. But we do have another tradition that we like to do, and that's when it's someone's anniversary. We want to celebrate that with them. So John, Diana, if you guys could stand up. They just had how many years? Five-year Five wedding anniversary. So let Ooh. So we're going to end with you up on a chair when we finish the message. But like, can we just give them a hand for five years of marriage? Because here's the thing. People don't celebrate marriage anymore. They celebrate at the wedding ceremony, and then they stop. You guys can sit down. Thank you so much. But they don't acknowledge and celebrate marriage. And God wants to acknowledge, and God wants to celebrate every marriage, and we want to celebrate birthdays. So somebody remind me at the end, get Diana on a chair. Okay, but the next thing Jesus does is after the wedding, he ministers to the church. So drop down to verse 13, or verse 12. And it says, after this, after the wedding, uh, he went down to Capernaum with his mother and brothers and his disciples, and there they stayed for a few days. When it was almost time for the Jewish Passover, Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now, here's the thing. The Gospels, reason why we're going through them in chronological order is because I often get a lot of people saying, hey, this is wrong or this is wrong or this doesn't match with this. And like we said a couple of weeks ago, each of these people are giving their perspective on portions of Jesus' ministry and they align perfectly. So when you read the other Gospels, they talk about at the end of Jesus' ministry, he went into the temple and he turned over all the tables and did all this stuff. John talks about another event where Jesus did the same thing, but he didn't just go in and turn over the temples. He went home and he made a whip, which is pretty cool if you think about it. But then he goes in and he starts whipping all the animals and he starts sending everything out and does like sends all the people out scurrying. And uh, here's why in verse 14, when it was almost time, excuse me, verse 14, in the temple courts, he found men selling cattle, sheep, and doves and others sitting at the tables exchanging money. So he made a whip out of cords and drove all from the temple area, both sheep and cattle. He scattered the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. To those who sold doves, he said, who sold doves, he said, get these out of here, exclamation point. How dare you turn my father's house into a market? His disciples remembered that it is written, zeal for your house will consume me. Now, here's the key thing, and and this is one of those um, touchy areas because this is Jesus, even though it looks like he's flaking out and, and going like crazy on the church, he is not. He is ministering to the church because the reason why he does that is because, think of it this way. It says this is the time of Passover. For lack of a better term, in our mindset, think of this as this is Easter Sunday, Resurrection Sunday. And you come in to worship God, but all the people who worship are outside. Inside are people selling cross necklaces, people selling, you know, he is risen pins, people selling, you know, 
he bull- I've, he rose again, people selling pictures of the tomb, T-shirts, and I am all about T-shirts. But the reason why he's wigging out on them is because the church had forgotten their purpose. They became more about raising money than ministering to people. And here's number two, number two thing. God wants ministry to be about serving people. When the church becomes more known for the things it sells or the things, other things that it does than for reaching people, preaching, saving the lost, meeting the needs of the community, that's the wrong focus. The purpose of the church is to minister to and serve people. And if you come in, now I gotta, I gotta back this up before someone says, well, Floyd, you're a hypocrite because you're selling t-shirts. Yeah, we are. But we're not trying to stockpile money. Our focus isn't money. The money that we get from the t-shirts is going to be used to help reach the lost. Get a bus so we can send all these youth and their unchurched friends uh, to hear Franklin Graham, you know, also to hear Lecrae and, and Stacey Worm too, uh, so that they can hear the gospel. You know, the reason we're collecting shoes is not so that we can build a bigger building or, or, or do any of that or not to increase my salary. Uh, it's so that we can have funds to reach the loss and do outreach. That's why, and you guys have heard me say this before, pray that Christy, you know, gets a job. She's finished school. She's looking for jobs every day because she gets a job. I instantly decrease my salary. The more she makes, the less I want to make because I believe every dollar that you guys tithe should be used. I mean, we got to pay light bills. We got to pay utilities and all that. But every dollar other than that should be used for outreach to reach the loss. Now, that's just my opinion. Uh, I could, you know, it doesn't say thou shalt in the Bible, but I could definitely back it up with scripture that if you're giving your resources, they should be used to bless God and bless the lives of others. All right. So when we become, and, and don't get me wrong, because I know a lot of churches do like spaghetti dinners and, and, and all that stuff. And sometimes you got to do that to raise money. But if your church is known more for that than for reaching the lost or for preaching or for teaching or for worshiping and engaging God, if that's more what it's known for, then there's a disconnect there. Every congregation, regardless of what denomination, whatever, if they're a God-honoring, spirit-filled, Bible-believing congregation, their primary focus should be to reach the lost and to serve people. Now that I can back up with scripture. I mean, that's, I really don't want Jesus coming in here, turning over tables and burning the t-shirts. So our focus is not on the t-shirts. That's just something we do. We're not trying to stockpile money, but we want to spend money to reach the lost because it does cost money. If someone would give us a free bus, hey, we'd stop telling the t-shirts right now and just get all the kids on the bus and, and go. But we know that's not going to happen. You never know. God might, you know, make that happen. But until then, we're going to try to raise money so that we can do it. Uh, And we're going to try to, you know, have people bring in your shoes so we can use that money to do more outreach and all that kind of stuff. But our goal is not to raise money and not to become known as like the, you know, T-shirt church or something like that. Someone asked me this. Let me share this quickly. Someone asked me this uh, at one of the pastoral gatherings we do. And I'm sure you may have seen a phrase like this on the internet somewhere, but they said, if your church, and it wasn't just they asked me, they asked all of us, if your church were to disappear, would people in your community even know it? 
And my response was, if this building were to disappear, I don't know that people even know it. I mean, people drive by here, and then, you know, when I see people out and about in the community, and I tell them where our church is, they're like, oh, I never knew that was there. So if it were suddenly gone and it was all grass, I don't think they would notice. But I do think they would notice if the true church, you guys, were not here. Because then we wouldn't have as many people helping out with Meals on Wheels or Special Olympics or the crew or uh, all those things that we help out with or the, the local food bank. Those people would notice, hey, we're missing, you know, some of the people that help us meet the needs in the community. So they would notice immediately. And to me, to be known for that is more important than being known for the T-shirts, although I love the T-shirts. They're pretty cool. And if you're saying, hey, Floyd, you know, Maybe we should tone down the T-shirts. Put one on and see how many people stop and ask you about your church. You'll have more of an opportunity to tell people about what we do in the community. All right, uh, let me continue because I'm getting um, off track. John chapter 3. Okay, John chapter 3. Because the focus of ministry is about serving and reaching people. But sometimes, sometimes, many times, it's all about reaching just one individual and connecting with one person. So John chapter 3, verse 1, it says, Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a member of the Jewish ruling council. Now, he was a Pharisee, and if you weren't here a couple of weeks ago, we talked about the fact that the Pharisees, these were the guys who uh, were the, uh, one of the sects of religious leaders. They had the Sadducees and the Pharisees. The Pharisees were the guys who said, Hey, we have to obey everything in the law. The Old Testament, the, 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 the five books of Moses, the Torah. We have to obey all of that to the letter because their thinking was, hey, the reason why we got sent into captivity, our nation keeps getting overrun by other people, is because we keep being disobedient to God. Therefore, we must obey everything in the law. They knew that that was difficult, so they came up with a bunch of traditions that added it to the law in order to help you obey the law. So you had to obey the law. You had to obey all these traditions in order to obey the law. And I don't know if you've ever been, anyone ever been in a really legalistic church? If this is your first church, don't raise your hand because that's not how we are. But if you've ever been in a really legalistic church, and not to, you know, call people out, but they have the things that, that, these are the churches that are known for, again, wrong focus, known for, instead of known for reaching people, they're known for the list of thou shalt nots. You know, thou shalt not wear this type of clothing, thou shalt not dance, thou shalt not do this. All of these lists of things that thou shalt not do, and they're known more for that than for the amazing love and grace of God that God pours out on his people, all right? So these are the Pharisees. This is who uh, Nicodemus was one of those. Verse 2, he came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know you are a teacher who has come from God. Now he knew, he said, you are from God. He acknowledged that, but he didn't acknowledge him as God. He said, for no one could perform the miraculous signs you're doing if God were not with them. In reply, Jesus declared, I tell you the truth, no one can see, see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. How can a man be born when he is old, Nicodemus asked. Surely he cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, and this is probably one of the, the best spiritual explanations ever in the Bible about knowing God. He said, I tell you the truth, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless he is born of water and the spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. 
you should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. Now, let me explain this because Jesus is, is just this awesome explanation, okay? He says, basically, that God is a spirit. Those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. We're told that in the Bible. God is a spirit. Since God is a spirit, the place where he dwells, now he's omnipresent, so he's everywhere, but the place, if we in our mindsets think of limiting him to a place, it's not that he's limited there. That's the place where he rules from, the place where he dwells, his white house, for lack of a better term, his seat of ruling and, and reigning over the universe is in heaven. Heaven is a spiritual place. Okay? I can't drive there. I can't fly a plane there. It is a spiritual place. You cannot get to a spiritual place to live eternally with a spiritual God by obeying physical rules and regulations. Does that make sense? It doesn't matter how much I obey everything in this book. It's not going to get me into a relationship with God, nor is it going to get me into heaven. That's not how it works. So in order to get into heaven, I have to step across the line of faith. I have to accept that the God who is spirit sent his son, who is God, to become human flesh, to live life just like we live it, to pay the penalty for my sins, to die in my place, because that's the penalty for sin is death. Sin is just a biblical word for all those things that we do that are outside of God's purview. So he came in flesh, died in my place. Since he is God, he is also eternal, even though he did die as a man. Since he's eternal, he could pay the penalty not just for me today, but for everyone who has ever lived and everyone who will live. So as a spirit, he was able, and as an eternal God, he was able to pay the penalty. Now, the only way for me to get to know this God who is spirit and get to this heaven, which is a spiritual place, is to step across the line of faith and put my faith and trust in this God who is spirit. Does that make sense? This is what he is explaining to Nicodemus. Now, the cool thing is the fact that Nicodemus came to him because God wants ministry to be a revelation of him and his love. It's not just, if all I do, and this, there's a lot of uh, criticism about organizations that do this, but if all that I do is show up and just serve people without showing them the love of Christ and sharing the love of Christ, then I'm not ministering to them. Because remember, ministry is on behalf of someone else. And if we're ministering on behalf of God, there's a message to what we're doing. If all I show up and, and, and do is it's, it's, it's when we go to the nursing home, if all we show up and do is sing a couple of songs without letting them know that there's a God that loves them and they, get, they can spend eternity with him, then we're not doing it right. Now, that doesn't mean every single week we do that, but the heart of what's driving us to continue to go there is the opportunity to spend time with them, to serve them, to pray with them, and to share the gospel with them. Now, let me, close, um, let me close with this. I want to put the last couple of verses up on the screen. And we're going we're gonna, to, some of you guys are familiar with this, some of you are not. But I'm going to put the last couple of verses up on the screen because they're in essence describing why the church exists. 
And some of you are familiar with this passage. If you're not, here it is, John 3, 16. For God, and I put in King James Version because, you know, every now and then you just got to go old school King James Version, and especially when you're in trouble with God. All right, but for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God sent his son into the world to condemn the world. Sorry, for God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. The whole reason that Jesus came and the whole reason that he established the church is to minister to people, is to save people, is to reach people, is to share the gospel with people. And verse 18 says, He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And I've got, I've heard people, and I have these conversations all the day, and sometimes I frustrate Christy Christy, when we're sitting there, and I'm talking with people online who are kind of like, how can, you know, God be so mean that he sends all these people to hell and does all this stuff? God, here's the thing that we, we miss. From God's perspective, we're already going there. Whether you like it or not or agree with it or not, we are born with this sinful condition. So we're born with a predetermined destination. But God gives us the opportunity and says, hey, I don't want anyone to perish. I don't want anyone to be separated from me. So I'm giving you the opportunity to enter into relationship with me. And here's the thing. It's not like you got to pay your own bill because Jesus already paid it. All you got to do is say, thank you, Jesus for paying that debt for me. And it says, verse 19, and this is the condemnation that light is come into the world and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. And all the people I'm talking to, I've heard people say this and it drives me crazy. They say, if God wanted that for me and loved me so much, why didn't he give me evidence? I'm like, The man raised people from the dead and then rose from the dead himself. He left us various eyewitnesses of the account who documented it. He healed people from diseases. He made blind people see. He healed people who couldn't walk. And next thing you know, they were literally jumping and dancing. What more could you ask for? I mean, if we're talking about a God who is spirit, What would I want to see to know that he has come to be a light to me? Show me something spiritual. Heal somebody. Raise the dead. Raise from the dead yourself. Not only rise from the dead yourself, but have somebody predict it several thousand years beforehand that there's going to come this guy who's going to raise from the dead, and he's going to say, follow me. So several thousand years later, when he rises from the dead and says, follow me, what more could you ask for? So I'm going to ask the band to come up, and we're going to close with, with this. Because God wants to be a light in our life. And to, to those people who don't know Jesus Christ, here is what Jesus wants to say to you. Anyone, whether it be you, your family member, here's what he wants to say to them. I am that light. I want to heal your marriage. I want to heal that hole in your heart. I want to be with you forever. And so I can be that light. I can take away that darkness. I can fill that void of emptiness. I can be the light. But all you have to do, you don't even have to pay your own debt. All you have to do is say, thank you, Jesus.
for paying that debt for me. And for those of us who have already stepped across the line of faith, here's what Jesus wants us to tell others about him. Pretty much the same thing, because we all have people in our circles of influence that, that don't know God, and he wants us to tell others that, hey, the reason why when we go out to do ministry, to serve others, to minister to others, I'm here because God loves you. And I want to be a light in your life so that you might see God through me. That's what he wants you. If you're a Christ follower and you've stepped across that line of faith, that's what he wants you to tell others. Here's the reason why a lot of people, and it sounds like I'm really down on the church, I'm not, but here's the reason why a lot of people don't do that, is because in the church, we're usually very kind of like, I don't know, sad and sullen and sunken, you know? And I don't know, um, I don't get as much of an opportunity these days to go visit other churches because I'm busy on Sunday morning. But when I do, there's no joy. There's no happy people. These are supposed to be people who are celebrating because they know the guy who created the universe and they're on a first name basis with him and they get to spend eternity with him and they have a new life in Jesus, the one who supposedly died so that they might have life to the full, and yet they walk in the building and out of the building like they just lost their best friend. And I understand sometimes people are hurting. I understand sometimes people are going through stuff. But man, can we just be happy and celebrate that we know the light? So here's what we're going to do. We're going we're gonna to sing a song that we've sung before. I'm going to ask you guys to stand. It is an energetic song. It is a happy song. So if you cannot get to your happy place right now, just don't sing. But if you are in your happy place, then be happy. I mean, clap your hands, enjoy, be celebratory right now. God, we just thank you that you are the light to us, that we get to know you in a way that many people, your word says that, that there are, are people hundreds and uh, thousands of years ago that only dreamed of knowing you in the way that we get to know you right now. And God, we pray that you would fill us with a spirit of joy and celebration so when we leave this place, we go out here shining your light on everyone we meet. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.